Hey Jason, I just wanted to thank you for another great noir and PI episode. I could listen to you and Rob C talk about that sort of thing for hours. So thanks very much for sharing that. Great stuff. Take care, man. Well, pop yourself a beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little thing. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him, what you got? He said, I'll start up with some talking and some movie clips of popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations, and some groundless exploitation. Kickstarts that I'm watching, and some blind unboxings, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the box come on, contest, and of course, you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. With the other, Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. At the top of the show, you heard Spencer, also known as Free Thrall, from Keep Off the Borderland. He was talking about my last episode, where Rob C. from the Down in the Heat podcast joined me to talk about noir movies. I have a couple other calls about that up front, and then we're going to get back into RPGs. I've got a number of calls related to my Cypher episodes. So we'll discuss puzzles and cipher system, and we'll see where that takes us. So without further ado, oh, I, I will say one other thing. I want to thank everybody. I'm still getting condolences over Tiger's passing, and I appreciate that very, very much. Uh, again, I'm not going to play those on the air. Th- those are personal messages, but I do appreciate everybody's sentiments, and, and everybody's been very, very supportive about that. So that said... Let's get to the calls. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's scream is coming from inside the house. Up first, we have Joe Richter, the Hindsightless and the Wheeler Woe podcasts. Last time he called in and asked me if I remembered a movie called Lucky Number Slevin, but then when he described it, it sounded to me a lot like Last Man Standing, Bruce Willis' vehicle from, I think, 1996. Anyhow, here's his call. God damn it, you are so right, man. It is totally Last Man Standing, the one I'm thinking about. The hell is Lucky Number Slevin? I don't know. Some crazy shit happens in that movie, I think. I don't. <laughs> anyway, absolutely right. Last Man Standing. That movie rules. I think I saw that in the theaters with my dad, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, dude. Good, good catch. Good catch. Anyway, peace out. Hey, Joe, don't worry about it. It happens to the best of us. Ask our good buddy Andy Goodman, and he'll tell you. I've transposed names of directors and actors and whatnot more than once. So you're definitely not alone. Next up, we have Daniel Norton of the wonderful Bandits Keep podcast and also the Bandits Keep YouTube channel. He does actual plays there, but he also has videos on YouTube that are like discussions. They're usually, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes long. And he he discusses kind of like what we do here on podcasts. So I highly recommend you check out his YouTube channel and his podcast. But let's hear what Daniel has to say. Hey, Jason, Daniel, Ben, let's keep uh, listening to your episode 164, really enjoying it. Uh, 
I, I'm, I don't have the breadth of knowledge that you have and, uh, of these different movies, but, and books, but, uh, I've watched a few and last year I actually read a, a compilation of stories by Raymond Chandler and it really opened my eyes to that, uh, noir and kind of, uh, the difference, I guess, between that and I had been reading, I guess, what they called detective fiction before that. And it's definitely a different type of thing. And actually, I think much more inspirational in my mind, uh, for gaming than your classic detective fiction where it requires, you know, some genius Sherlock Holmes or whatever to figure out the final plot. Uh, uh, it's much more like tangible and, uh, achievable in a sense, I think, to play a character like that. So I think for RPGs, uh, that's these uh, movies. I'm going to watch more of them now that I'm making a list based on what you guys are talking about. But, uh, oh, running out of time. Thanks. Okay, I decided to make it a two-parter. Uh, because what I want to say was I think this is the type of thing that um, you can definitely play out in a game. And you guys are kind of talking about what, what draws you to it. And, and I think, yeah, it, it's like an adventure. And, like, again, it feels very doable. Like, I'm certainly no private investigator and I would never do the things that they do in these movies or books, but you kind of feel like you could do it if you were put in a desperate situation. Whereas if you read like a, you know, a Sherlock Holmes novel or, or, um, you know, something from Agatha Christie with like Poirot, like you can't really imagine being that level of detective. I think in most cases, at least I can't anyways, but these kind of, uh, down and dirty in the streets, uh, figuring it out, you know, just getting by, by the, the skin of their teeth so much. Uh, that's something we can really, um, imagine being, I think. So I think that's why people connect to these. And now I'm going to go watch the movies. Daniel, thank you so much for the feedback. And I think you really hit the nail on the head here. These characters are relatable. You know, they might be quicker witted than I am and, you know, be able to do the quips better. And they might put things together a little bit better, be able to read people together together read people better but i think that's really where these strengths of detectives lie it's not that they're super sleuths like sherlock holmes but it's the fact that they can read people usually pretty good although occasionally women will lead them astray and then they're also usually quick-witted i really enjoy the books written in first person in a slightly sarcastic tone it just appeals to my sensibility but the other thing with the noir movies and there are so many great ones out there. If you just watch the ones we talked about or, you know, look on, you could just list, get on the internet and look best noir movies and you'll get tons of lists. But the protagonists aren't always detectives or even law enforcement. They might be criminals, but often they're regular people, insurance salesmen, screenwriters. In a Lonely Place is one you should definitely check out. Great movie. It's Humphrey Bogart movie where he's a screenwriter. He's a Hollywood screenwriter. And then you have, um, well, Double Indemnity, where, you know, your main character is an insurance salesman. But it, it kind of reminds me, and I guess this would be maybe a neo-noir movie. But remember, there's a movie with Johnny Depp, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but it's Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken. And what happens is Johnny Depp is just going about his day. I think he's going to go meet his kid or something. And he gets sucked into this assassination plot with Christopher Walken. And every turn he, he goes, the bad guys are there, kind of pushing him towards killing the senator or whatever it is. I'll look the name of the movie up and put it in, in here. But that kind of fits the same kind of thing. It, it's these movies where the average person gets shoved into it. And you can relate to that average person. You know, what are they going to do? Kind of like, um, nah. And again, my brain fart. See, Joe, it's not just you. The Michael Mann movie. I'm a big Michael Mann fan. The Michael Mann movie with 
Jamie Foxx, where Tom Cruise is the killer, and Jamie Foxx is the taxi driver who gets sucked into the plot and you, you, you know is trying to get his way out of it. So that every man kind of, or every woman, pulled into these mysteries. Sandra Bullock did a, you know, some movies like this, right? Like, what was it, The Net, where she's just an average person, gets sucked into the mystery and has to figure it out. So the, I, I think those kind of stories have a lot of appeal to us. I will say one thing here. With these movies, especially the, the, the old noir movies, the 30s and 40s, some are much better than others. But some of them really cast women in a poor light, and I think that was just a standard of movies back then where they're shown as real airheads, and they're shown as falling for a man at a, in a heartbeat, and the kind of thing like the James Bond thing where they, I, I realize those are later, but the idea man kisses a woman or, or is nice to her and all of a sudden she falls in love with him. So one of the movies we mentioned is really bad about this, and, and you could probably skip it, and that's Lady in the Lake. Lady in the Lake is a Chandler adaptation and it shot all first person it shot all you know from the camera's view which is interesting but the portrayal of women in that movie is just horrible and i think it's robert montgomery is the director and he plays marlo his i I can't stand his voice (laughs) it's nothing personal against him but yeah i i don't think i would recommend that um just because i i his voice is just it doesn't fit bogey's ruined me for marlo I, I think um, my favorite Marlowe movies by far are Murder My Sweet and The Big Sleep. Th- those by far are my favorites. I need to watch the Elliot Gould one, which would be considered neo noir. But Elliot Gould supposedly did a really good job as him. Um, Robert Mitchum gets high marks, but he just doesn't it. He just doesn't do it for me. I, I just bogey is it for me. It, yeah, it's Robert Montgomery who does Lady in the Lake, but. Um, Anyway, I prattled on long enough about this. I will insert a piece here in a second with the names of these movies I've forgotten, and we'll go on to our RPG calls. The movies I was thinking of with Johnny Depp and Christopher Walken is 1995's Nick of Time. I actually quite like that movie. I, th- it, I, I don't know how it would stand up watching it like a bunch of times in a row, but I think watching it, it stands up. I think Nick of Time is kind of interesting. And then the one with Jamie Foxx, Tom Cruise, the Michael Mann movie is, of course, Collateral. Collateral. And I didn't look up the the net, but I'm pretty sure the net's the name of the one with um, Sandra Bullock, and yes, it is. Okay, so for, without further ado, let's get to Arlen. Hey, Jason, it's Arlen. I was going to call in to mention that King Arthur Pendragon is one of those games without uh, an intelligence score, but you beat me to it. Um, so, and, and I'm sure there are a number of others. One of the things that I wanted to say about that, though, is that I think Pendragon does something really clever, which is that you get basically all of the stuff that you would use intelligence and wisdom for in D&D through other methods, right? So in Pendragon, you have skills that relate to your character's kind of ability to get information often. So like heraldry or recognized for knowing who a person is and knowing their family history and all that sort of stuff. Or you have, um, other types of, you know, education, literacy type skills to reflect that kind of knowledge. And then also have 
the the personality stuff, the the traits and passions that I think do a really good job of describing basically what you would normally do for high intelligence or high wisdom or low intelligence or low wisdom. So, for instance, having a pretty high prudence score for a knight, I think results in a pretty similar play to what most people would play as a, a high wisdom cleric that you're, you know, reluctant to just rush in and um, kind of completely, you know, throw caution to the winds and all that sort of stuff. You're thinking ahead, planning all that sort of stuff that's sort of covered in prudent. Um, and then that's also related to the other, the other traits and the other passions, because sometimes, you know, you get impassioned and you have to just, you know, go in and throw caution to the winds as I described it. So basically what I'm getting at is that I think Pendragon cleverly, um, does all of, or most of the same things that you would do with an intelligence score without having any kind of mechanical intelligence element that it's more a reflection of your character's education and their personality. Um, that's what we get with Pendragon and we don't have the thing where like, Oh, my character got kicked in the head and that's why I have five intelligence. You don't have to deal with that. You know, all of the characters are knights. They're all um, assumed to be able to kind of like, you know, speak, correctly and fluently and all of that sort of stuff there there aren't any like complete idiots and there aren't any like kind of um super genius level characters they're all basically people and i think that's part of why pendragon works well so that was arlen walker the live from pelham's wasteland podcast and youtube channel and he was he's responding to a call a while well, actually i think he's responding to the conversation i had with Spencer or Free Thrall, who you heard at the top of the show, we recorded a conversation on an earlier episode where we talked about puzzles and games. And I mentioned that some game, I have some games in my collection that don't even have an intelligence stat because they take the the point of view that, you know, you can't play a dumber or smarter character than you. You're pretty much always playing you. So there's no need for an intelligence stat. And the only game I could think of off the top of my head was Pendragon. Which doesn't have one, but as Arlen very clearly articulated, it makes up for it in other ways. I, I do have other games. I haven't bothered digging through my stacks to figure out what games I'm thinking of. As I mentioned before, I think they're in earlier episodes. I think they're more kind of beer and pretzels games, but I'll have to track that down. But Arlen's not the only one to call about puzzles. Carl Rodriguez, Game Master Extraordinaire, has some ideas on puzzles. So let's listen to Carl. Hey Jason, here is a response about puzzles. I find that some players, it's not really a skill in so much as whether a player gets into, enjoys doing puzzles or not. I think in one of my more recent games, I could tell there are two players really getting into the puzzles and then two players sort of fade out and just go along with it, don't give any input. I am of the mind that it's more interesting if players try to solve the puzzles, though as a player I'm not a fan. However, if players don't want to do that, you could always default to a skill challenge. Uh, Both Pathfinder and 5e have that sort of ability. I don't know. I think you just gotta, as a GM, you have to read the mood of your players and uh, see what they like. 
I, I think Carl nailed it on the head. If the group likes puzzles, include them. If they don't like puzzles, don't include them. You, you have to know your group. Or if they don't like puzzles and you do and you're a mean GM like Joe Richter, then include them anyway. As far as the background music there for Carl, we had had a back and forth on whether I should have background music in my podcast when I talk. And so I kind of think he's trying to show me that instead of doing elevator music, it'd be more interesting if I had real music behind my voice like he had in that call. But Carl has more thoughts. And this is going to lead us into the cipher system discussion of this podcast. In previous episodes, I've talked about cipher system and why. So Che Webster ran a game of cipher for a number of us. And I had a really good time in that game. And I think there's I don't think there's anything wrong with the cipher system. But it rubbed me the wrong way because I don't like resource management. You know, I'm a Ameritrash board gamer, not a Eurogame board gamer. You have to go back a couple episodes to get those definitions. But and and nothing's black as black and white as that. They're degrees and mixtures of things. But effectively, Cypher is a resource management system. You have to balance. So I use my resource my and your resources to do cool things are also your health. So you're balancing that. It's like some card game, some board games and card games where your your hand of cards is also your health. So the more cards you play, the weaker you get. Yeah, I I, I don't like that mechanic. So Cipher hit me that same way. So that's why I don't. I would still play it. I, I think it's a, a decent system. I don't think it's broken or anything. I'm, that wasn't my intent. But I, that rubs some people the wrong way. So we're going to have some calls here from Carl, from John Allen Large, and from Che Webster on Cypher System. Of course, Carl, you've heard from before. He's a game master extraordinary. He doesn't have a podcast, but he runs a ton of games. John Allen Large, of course, is Red Dice Diaries podcast or empire i guess he has podcasts and blog and he has a youtube channel as well and che webster of course is a role play rescue who also does blogs and and his podcast so i'm going to play all their thoughts and then i'll kind of respond to those okay another comment on software system and exploration now that it comes to mind so i guess the emphasis is on quote unquote exploration because you don't get XP for killing monsters. You get XP for finding out clues about the world and discovering ciphers and art artifacts. So it is kind of XP wise geared towards exploratory versus uh, kicking down doors and killing things. Saying that XP only for finding out about the world and finding artifacts and quote-unquote magic items, you still got to kill things to get those and loot them, right? I guess all games are fundamentally the same. Kill the bad monsters and take their stuff. Okay, I'm going to butt in here really quickly. I don't think Carl's saying that every game is kill the monster, take their stuff. I've played a number of games of Carl, and... You know, it's not always that, but I think he has an interesting point, and I think a lot of games, regardless of the genre or the rule system, are played that way. A lot of a lot of game masters and a lot of groups do play games as kill the monster and take their stuff. I also butted in to give context to this next series of calls from John and from Che. I had asked John if he would compare and contrast and give his thoughts on. GM intrusions in Cypher versus compels in the Fate system. So here's what John has to say about that. 
Hey there, Jason. Just been listening to your latest episode where you're continuing to talk about the Cypher system. And I thought you raised an interesting point about GM intrusions as opposed to compelling an aspect in the Fate system. To be honest, I've not really got a problem with the GM intrusions. So let's say when the GM wants to propose a complication, they offer a couple of XP to the player. One they keep, one they give to somebody else. If they accept the complication, if not they don't get the XP. Lowers in fate, if you want to compel someone's aspect to create a complication, if they accept it, they get a fate point that they can use later. Now, I know obviously these mechanics sort of exist outside the game, and obviously there's a bit of a discussion, a bit of back and forth between the players and the GM when these mechanics are being used. And I could see that potentially being a problem for some people, you know, with it bringing them out of the game and them having to discuss mechanics. You know, there's the much vaunted um, immersion. People often talk about mechanic talk and stuff like that, and meta mechanics bringing them out of the game and ruining their immersion or impacting it, which is fair enough, you know, different people, different strokes. But it doesn't really bother me, particularly since there's always a certain amount of mechanic talk in games. However, I do think you need to use such mechanics sort of with, with a light touch, since if you're sort of in a suspenseful scene and like the action's really going and the pace of the game is really like biting up, and then you have to stop things to have like a, a couple of minutes discussion on whether someone's getting an XP or a fate point or whatever, that could bring the pace of the game right down and could ruin the suspense of a scene that you've been building up and you've then got to do all that work again. But I think also it can add in an element of player control over such things if it's used judiciously. So rather than it just being like a random dice roll that results in something unfortunate happening, you have a little bit of a say in it. And I suppose it also softens the blow if something horrible happens to your character. You know, at least you've got the XP or the fate point or whatever. And it encourages GMs to look out for areas where a complication might come into it, normally related to a character's background or their aspects in fate. I can't remember if it has to be related to backgrounds in the cipher system. I don't think it does, but it still encourages the GM to look for areas where complications might occur that might increase the drama of the story or add something extra to the game session, but it puts that sort of final decision in the hands of the players. And I think whether you enjoy handing that sort of level of control over to the players, as opposed to it being dice rolls or in the GM's purview, is down to the game you're playing and your sort of group preferences, basically. But it's not something I have a problem with. I don't mind mechanics like GM's intrusions and um, compelling aspects and stuff like that. I'm happy to use them in games where they exist, but... If I'm running a game where they don't exist, I'm equally as happy, I suppose. Anyway, I thought it was an interesting discussion point, as you can no doubt tell from the, the vast number of messages I've left you. Hope you're keeping well, dude. Stay safe, and I'll catch you soon. Hey, Jason, it's Jay from Roleplay Rescue. Just calling in about GM intrusion in the Cypher system, because in your description at the end of your last episode, uh, Cypher Revisited, uh, you got it wrong, basically, um, or slightly. Uh, so GM intrusion, GM can... Um, Offer a complication, or basically describes a complication happening in the in the narrative of the game, and gives away the G, the XP as you um, describe. But the player who wants to refuse it doesn't it doesn't cause it not to happen. 
it, they have to then say how they evade that or get around that particular uh, complication. And that's a very subtle, very, very subtle thing. One of the things I like about it is it means that the GM introduces something narratively and the player can counter that narrative, but narratively. They don't just get to kind of wreck on it. Um, if it was a retcon, I think I'd be much less comfortable. Anyway, just a quick uh, correction. There you go. Game on. I want to thank both John and Che for those thoughts. And Che, thank you very much for that correction. Because that is a subtle and important difference that, that I didn't capture in my explanation. But the fact that they have to narratively explain why it doesn't happen is much better than just retconning it. So thank you for pointing that out. So the last thing I want to do before I close the show is talk a little bit about my upcoming Against Dark Master game. The players will be Barry of the Shadow of the GM podcast and Rob, also known as Minion, of the Confessions of the Wee Timmer Spooshy podcast. This game is going to be played every other Wednesday morning. In It's 5 a.m. Eastern time, East Coast time of the U.S., because that works with all of our time zones, with Barry being in the UK and Rob being over in Japan. And it's going to be a bi-weekly game that's going to last about two hours each session. What we're going to do, we, we've finished up a MURP game, Middle-Earth Role-Playing, where we played 10th level characters doing a murder mystery that Barry ran. And now we're going to run against Dark Master to see how that system compares. So the plan is we're going to have two or three sessions at first level and then I'm going to jump them up to fourth or fifth level for a session or two and then we'll probably do one final jump up in level you know to higher level for a session or two to try to compare the power levels and see how the game handles at the different levels they've created characters we're still finishing the final touches on their characters and we're going to start this coming Wednesday and I'll give reports as we go maybe I'll have interviews with those players that I'll include in the show one thing I'm going to go out of my way to do is try to include the different aspects of the game in there. So norm, so against Dark Master is supposed to be to fill the vacancy that Merp has left. Iron Crown Enterprise, the company that published Middle Earth Role Playing or Merp back in the day, obviously has lost the Tolkien license, and they don't publish Merp anymore, and they don't even publish a generic game that used basically changed stripped out Tolkien and just kept the Merp rules. They do have Harp, which is kind of a, a slimmed down version of Rollmaster in some ways. And they are coming out with Rollmaster Unity eventually, which will be an updated version of Rollmaster Classic, kind of. And I think the plan is to have Harp and Rollmaster Unity as their main product lines. Right now you can still buy Rollmaster Classic, which is effectively Rollmaster Second Edition as well from from them and all their products that they sell are available PDF on drive through RPG and, and big props, to iron crown enterprise. I'm a big fan. So against art master though, is supposed to take that spot where Merp is and it's not published by iron crown. It's a different company and they're trying to do a couple different things with it. They put in journey mechanics that are kind of like the one ring in adventures in middle earth. And they also have extensive rules for developing the dark master and your opponents which isn't obviously isn't something in Merp because in Middle Earth Soren's your bad guy. So personally, eh, I, I like Merp better than Against Art Master from just what I've read. But I'm very interested in giving a test run, and I'm going to try the different aspects out. We're going to do combat. Against Art Master has 
different phases. It has like a, a missile A phase and a missile B phase and a spell A phase and a spell B phase. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to be designing opponents to make use of that so we can actually give combat a good test run by using the different phases, you know, and seeing that in action. Uh, I'll also use the journey mechanics. We're, we're going to try different things. The world is going to be based loosely on the old Beastmaster movie. Of course, that was Mark Singer and Tanya Roberts in that movie. And, oh, and of course, Rip Torn as your bad guy. But so effectively, the kingdom's fallen on a bad time. The land, I should say, has fallen on bad times. A cult has kind of taken power and usurped the throne and taken control of the throne. And, and so the populace lives in fear, especially in the cities, the urban areas. People are, you know, go about their day in whispers and hushes, and they lock the doors at night and stay inside at night. They're they're encouraged to sell out traders. No one is willing to go against the, you know, the powers that be. They're, they're people snatched out of their homes, snatched out of the streets, and taken into prisons and forced into labor and things like that. Um so it's one of those settings that now it's a little bit looser when you get away from the cities in the more urban or the more rural areas. But still, if you come across, you know, groups of troops or if they go out for a reason, like they're going out to get laborers and, and you know, enslave them, things like that, you have to be careful. I, I'm setting it up this way so there will be urban adventures and, and urban adventures are going to be tough because if you don't know people in the city – now you're going to have to deal with this stranger danger kind of thing where nobody's going to trust you and they're much more likely to to sell you out you know to save their own hide and their family's hide than to help you so it's going to be an interesting dynamic uh, we're going to start a little bit easier than that but we will build up into that where they're going to have to go and and do this urban adventuring in these hostile areas or at least areas where they're not trusted so so it should be pretty fun but I, I do, am going to, like I say, I'm going to try to use the combat system to its max. We're going to try to use the journey mechanics. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I'll, I'll use the system to build a Dark Master. I, I don't know that, well, when we do the final jump to high level, maybe they'll get to face the Dark Master. And maybe they'll get to face some of the, you, you know, the lieutenants of the Dark Master and whatnot when they hit mid-level. So, so we'll see how that goes. Um but but it ought to be interesting. Again, Dark Master isn't a bad rule set, but I don't know what we're gonna see. I'm gonna try to give it a fair shake, and so I'm looking forward to that. If you're interested in more talk about Against the Dark Master, Barry over at Shadow of the GM podcast has recently released an episode where he talks about creating his character, and Arlen Walker over at Live from Pelham's Wasteland is going to be releasing an episode where he and I talk about Against the Dark Master compared to Merp. And then we talk about a couple other things. So, with those thoughts off my chest, I am going to cut this episode short. Well, it's not that short, but I'm going to finish this episode. I want to thank all my callers. I want to thank you, the listeners. I want to thank Ray Otis for the art used in this podcast. I want to thank TJ Drennan for the music. If you want to comment, want to have your message played on the air, you can leave me a message on the Anchor app. You can send me an email at nerdsrpgvarietycast at gmail.com. Attach a message to that, you know, attach an audio file to that, and I'll play it. Or I can read your email. You can reach out to me on Discord, and I can read out a Discord message. 
So there's a bunch of ways to interact with me, and I highly recommend you do. I'm, that That's the key to this show is interaction back and forth and not just me prattling on. So with that, we're going to go to TJ Drennan's outro song. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Take care. Joking by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I fail to shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. There is a dustman in your moilest spot It's different, I'm assuming that your partner back there in the woods Don't look away, don't look away Don't look away, don't look away Well, the zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck